With so much love and respect, welcome to the Luke Adler Healing Podcast, where we turn pain into power and get down to what really matters, the love we share and the love we grow. This is for those who want to get intimate with life's living edge and use every instance as an opportunity for deepening and connection. To make life a work of art, painted by passion and fueled by a longing for a more beautiful world, ultimately creating space for all that we are. I'm your host, Luke Adler. Let's get it. Hey, y'all. Great to be here with you today. We're going to be listening to an interview I did with my dear friend, Claudia Ponton. And uh, Claudia and I have known each other for a long time. And she's done some work with me, some shadow work, some Chinese medicine stuff. But whenever we get together, we have these really deep and beautiful conversations. She's a deep thinker, philosopher. She's an artist. And she's been on the, the healing path, the path of personal growth for a long, long time. So I'm honored to share this conversation with you today. We're going to be getting into um, you know, how to be present in those moments stay grounded in those moments when we're really feeling conflict with someone we love, with our partner, and the importance of a really deep apology. So we're going to dive right in. Here we go. I think empathy is a subject that obviously it's a word we hear all the time, but empathy and deep committed relationship is a, is a, is a, there's an edge that we'll all find ourselves against where we will be tested like we're like fuck i can't find i can't find empathy right now like it's blank and what do you think blocks empathy well like in the example that you and i were talking about weeks ago in my own marriage where um emily was asking for an acknowledgement really more than anything or an apology but Really, she's asking for an acknowledgement of me being gone, you know, after she had had the second baby and maybe it was like postpartum a year and I was out teaching somewhere and how difficult it was for me to be gone, even though we had an agreement at that time for me to go. But retrospectively, looking back, going like that was incredibly hard. And and, um, and she wanted you to know that it was difficult for her. Yeah. Not just like, not just like have me acknowledge it cognitively. Like, Oh yeah, of course, honey. I know that that was difficult. But from your heart. Yeah. Like for the ground to shake enough to be like, Luke, that was an incredibly difficult time in my life. And what made it difficult is you weren't there. And I had to um, rely on, you know, my parents to come in and be there for me in a state, you know, where I was incapacitated and how embarrassing that was. And, and um, yeah, I remember when she said it, like the first thing that come up, came up for me was justifications. Like, well, we had agreed upon it and um, we had agreed upon this long ago, years ago that, you know, I, part of my work is I go out and teach and, and that even before I went, you seemed fine. And 
Um, so that was the first thing I noticed is like my response wasn't response as much as a reaction was let me, uh, you know, justify and, and it's essentially be defensive of, of our prior agreement, a very masculine, very cognitive, mm-hmm. completely missing what was occurring was she was asking me to join her heart. Mm-hmm. So what happened after you were sort of initially defensive and kind of justifying? I mean, fortunately we had um, like a shadow work therapist holding the space for us. <laughs> and the, and she was so great. The therapist was like, well, Luke, see if you can take, you know, your own experience right now and just set it aside because that's valid. But right now in this moment, what Emily's asking for is for you to just, to just join her, to, to kind of meet her in, in her emotional space. And I, I and I was understanding that emo, uh, cognitively. Like I, I get that concept. Of course I teach that concept <laughs> But to actually be the person in the moment to to see the struggle between like, but wait, we had done this. And then like I started to ask her questions like, well, you know, what was it like to not have me home? Like I was trying to understand it more because I, I couldn't get my heart to be there. And to be honest with you, Claudia, there was some there was some part of my response was like, I wish you were tougher. Mm. I was in there mm-hmm. like I wish you were tough enough to handle the kids on your own mm-hmm. you know and of course that's all based in my childhood like mm-hmm. my dad was gone half the time it's, you know? it's interesting do you feel like that's part of the defense response though because when you feel defensive you also want to attack and then sort Completely. of shame the other person it was so textbook mm-hmm. exactly like that like I, <laughs> I was defending and then i wanted to attack like what the fuck mm-hmm. and so i first i had to feel my defensiveness then my anger so there was all the layers of my own experience that I needed to be with, which I was like, there was, there's the, the defensiveness, then the attack, you know, the, the hurt, I was hurt. And then I was angry. So I felt kind of shame. And then I wanted to blame her. And at the same time, I was witnessing myself do this very primal thing that makes complete sense. And then I started to like, see, like I came out of my lens and I could see through my lens and see my beautiful wife. And like, she wasn't attacking me. She wasn't demanding I do anything. She was just like so loving and patient and heartbroken. And there wasn't like this weak, meek victim over there. There was just a soul wanting me to join her in uh, in part of her experience that was really difficult and wished it had been less difficult and and then i realized there was there was i I knew i needed to like apologize but i didn't want to do it until i felt it so there was this blank space that was like i i didn't want to mechanically say oh honey i'm so sorry i wanted to feel it so i was just waiting it was like 10 minutes where i was just like I wasn't blank and I wasn't numb. I just didn't know what to do. Like I had no templating to do it. So for 10 minutes, did you, did did you just sit quietly together? Exactly. 
I just sat with her and I was looking in her eyes like I'm looking in your eyes right now. And I'm just like breathing and I'm just was feeling all of the sensations in my body. Mm-hmm. And I knew what I I knew I wanted to get there mm-hmm. and I didn't know if I was going to be able to. I think it's, I think it's amazing that you were able to sit there quietly for 10 minutes and know that you wanted to get to this place yeah. and that it was going to take time Yeah. and that it wasn't something that was going to happen immediately Yeah. and that you could both sit together in that space. Cause I think that's really important. And I think a lot of people don't know that sometimes it is just sitting quietly together. That is a kind of energy yeah. too, right? Cause you're doing something you haven't really done before. No, no examples of it in my life. Someone, someone said to me in a, we were doing a shadow work training three months ago with men and my teaching partner said, name a man that you admired growing up. Like in, in, you know, a complete example of a man, I couldn't think of one person. And to this day, I can't think of one person. I can think of men. I admire traits, but like a, a man who has that, that strength, that protective energy, but it's also like loving and firm and soft, you know, and, and, and can embody all of these aspects of, of uh, masculinity. So I think that's an evolutionary stage we're in for men mm. and, and women have a, a different one, a correlate one in their own way. Why it's difficult for, for men to have empathy in this kind of moment with their partner when they just want to justify or defend is we just, we've never had it shown to us. What we've had shown to us is defend and attack and then apologize later or don't apologize and just expect the the woman to do all the work or the feminine partner. Cause again, this isn't male, female, it's masculine, feminine can be a gay couple or a non-binary couple. Any couple will occupy the role of polarity. One will take more of a masculine stance and a, and a feminine stance. Always. Can you say a bit more about what the masculine stance is and the feminine stance? I mean, the, the, the masculine stance, at least in more of a pathological sense, which, you know, is more of like, let me defend, let me attack, let me, let me lead, let me guide. And, you know, the, the feminine stance is going to be more receptive, more open, more soft, more of an ability to flow, more uh, creative, more, um, you know, kind of attuned to the energy. And again, this doesn't necessarily woman, right? Like there's people with male genitalia that have more of a a kind of a feminine orientation. They're going to kind of follow, they're going to kind of go with the flow and vice versa. People that are going to be like, I want to take the lead. I want to take charge. I want to move things forward. I think it also has a lot to do with vulnerability and shame and how comfortable you are sitting in those emotions because to step into somebody's suffering and sit there with them and not be able to do anything about it, that goes against how men are, right? Men want to solve the problem. Right. Or not just men, but people, it's, let me take that out. It's not just men. It's difficult to sit with somebody suffering and feel their emotions, feel it with them and not try to do something about it. Yeah. Which I would, yeah, I would say that's a, that's a pathological masculine trait. Like, let me do something. Let me fix it. 
there's a place where that's useful, mm-hmm. but the most useful thing is, you know, like we could say the, the loving masculine, if we want to, or the loving feminine, mm-hmm. they both would be being with it. Mm-hmm. They would feel slightly different, but they would both be just settling in and taking that space to be still, mm-hmm. to feel, mm-hmm. to not fix. Mm-hmm. Because I imagine, you know, if your child came home and was um, crying and saying that she was bullied or something, your yeah. immediate response would be like anger and wanting to do something about it. Yeah. But to sit with her emotion would be, I think, harder, Yeah. you know, and yeah. without doing like anything about it. So what, so what is that space that you were talking about? So you said that th- it was hard to get to empathy, that there was this kind of like, like you didn't know like how to get to the place that you wanted to get to. Yeah. And that when for 10 minutes you sat there, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of that was the, the, the being with the layers of my defensiveness, my wanting to attack shame, shame, blame. And then, and then the layer of, um, you know, not the layer of my, you know, judgment of her. So I was like filtering through this me centered world. It's like, wasn't a we centered place. It was like, this is about me, but knowing that I had to do that like that, I couldn't skip that. If I were to skip that work, Mm -hmm. I would have just pushed that into the shadow. Like, okay, I need a spiritual loving man right here would just say, I'm so sorry, honey. I should have been there. But it wouldn't have been authentic. It would have been a half, halfly weighted truth. Mm. And your wife would have felt that. Yeah, she would have, and I would have seen it in her. Mm-hmm. I would have seen her go, "Thank you," but it wouldn't have created a break. It wouldn't have broken through to a higher level of connection. Right. What happened as I sat there and and was just? It's not like I was waiting, but I was just sitting with it and feeling my longing to connect with her. Eventually I could see in her eyes, the hurt. Like I, I, I could finally take, I could finally join her in her world. I could get through my world and then land in her world without abandoning my world. That was why my personal work was so important because I was fully with my own nuances and then I could arrive into her nuances and I could feel her hurt and how hard that was and how embarrassing it was to call her parents and um, how much shame that brought on for her. And, and once I could feel that, then I could hold my world and her world. I could hold, I could hold us both. And then I apologized and she immediately broke into tears and her heart opened. I could feel her heart opening and she wanted to give me a hug and, it, it was an immediate embrace because I, I had finally, you know, stretched myself enough mm. to, to get to her. And, and I didn't feel like I had betrayed myself because I was just trying to be a good man or a spiritual man by abandoning my own experience. I, I was holding my own, like my own reasons and justifications. And, and I got like, well, those are all good reasons. Those are those are all true. And my wife is still hurting. That that's also true. Right. And yeah. to acknowledge her hurt doesn't make you wrong. Exactly. That's an important thing to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the structure of the psyche, it lives as if if I join her, then I'm somehow fucked up. It's like, no, 
they're both true. They're you both know? true. Yeah, they're both real and and valid. Mm-hmm. You know, they just they're just contradictory in the way we the way we think of a relationship. If we're thinking of it in a binary system, like one person's right, one wrong, one's wrong, you'll never get to connection. Right. You'll never connect. But if you start to think there is no, there's all, there's everyone's kind of everyone's right and everyone's wrong. That that all sides are actually uh, valid. That all of life is honorable. That's really the difference between you know someone who's going to um, hold a bigger context of breakthrough and someone who wants to create separation and objectification is if I'm not obligated to make you wrong or make myself wrong to make you right, then I get to create a space where we create something totally new. And it's not like I'm saying, well, everyone's a winner or everyone's a loser. I'm not creating a new, a neutral state. I'm creating a state where creativity gets to arise. And the result of that in my relationship with Emily is now I have online this ability to have more empathy in those difficult moments for my girl, my daughters and my wife can kind of, can begin. I'm recognizing, Oh, this is a place for me to, you know, um, take, take in, come into her world. It's happening all the time since that moment. And do you find, um, like how quickly it changes the energy between you? Like, isn't that amazing? Immediately. Right. And you're like, wow, it's a superpower. (laughs) It's like a relational superpower. All of a sudden, like connection is like, it's more electric. It's more like Shakti. It's fast. It's immediate because I'm recognizing moments where energetically I'm actually checking out, you know, cause I'm going, fuck this. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. This is bullshit. Like you're being a victim. Like that, that narrative was running in the background energetically mm. on, you know, on, it was unspoken and creating resentment as well. Energetically. Mm-hmm which we were both in, but not naming mm-hmm. and, and why that empathy in the form of, of an apology, mm-hmm. it didn't, I didn't have to say, I'm sorry. Just like, Oh my God, that was so difficult. It was me joining her. Right. right. The, the words are right. not as important as, as the energetic movement, mm-hmm. but speaking it made it vibrate in a, in a clearer way. Mm-hmm. And it was important. Yeah. So how would you coach people? to be able to, to learn this skill. It's, it's funny. Cause when, you know, we were texting about this meeting, I got a phone call from someone in crisis that was literally asking this exact question. Like this thing happened. I'm so devastated. I'm caught in shame. Like, what do I do? It was like this exact subject wow. it, was, it was crazy. And I, I basically coached, coached this person into, you know, taking the other person's side. And they they said the same thing. Well, what about my shame? And what about my guilt? And I'm like, well, you've done that work. You, you're owning it. You're owning that, you know, you, you screwed up here or you may not have screwed up, but you're, you're doing that work. Now you have to create, you have to create a new reality with this other person by letting them feel that you are in their world. You're, you haven't abandoned your world, but you, you get the impact that you've had on them. And that liberates you that liber- to this person that liberates you from having been the tormentor. If you don't speak it, then you're holding this as a private reality. 
you know, you're, you can't liberate yourself in a relationship without including the other. So they started, they started to get that concept. And, and that's why relationally we can't do it in a vacuum. We can't just say, well, let me just do my spiritual work by praying and doing mantras and, you know, offering things to my guru or my priest or whatever. And then I'll just change my behavior with my partner. It doesn't work that way. Implicit in deep relationship and deep connection is taking the risk that when I share my vulnerability with you, I'm actually trusting you to hold it and not, not hurt me. That's what makes a relationship really rich and, and generative of energy is we're trusting each other mm-hmm. to hold our vulnerable, our vulnerable perspectives and not to attack us when we share this thing and hold it over our heads. That's toxic. That's abusive. And I'd say, don't be in a relationship like that. Like if, if you're trusting someone and they're causing you hurt, like, well, that's not intimacy. That's not closeness and trust. That's an abusive dynamic, you know, but um, assuming that we want, we want closeness and we want connection, then, you know, we, we want to take that risk to, Maybe it's in the form of an apology. Maybe it's in the form of an acknowledgement. Hey, you know, Claudia, I know that we've had some challenging things going on for some years. And I I just want you to know, I see that and how much that's, you know, or Emily, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, I, I, I'm sorry. I've been, you know, more buried in my work than I have been in the family. So how many years have you and Emily been together? We've been married for uh, 13 and, and together for 15 years. Yeah. And that breakthrough that happened recently, yeah, that was the first time that you were able to really do that together. That was the highest stakes. You know, mm-hmm. since having kids, it was like uh, we've both been in a survival state of learning how to become parents. And uh, I don't blame myself or her for any challenges we've had. It's the toughest thing I've ever done. So I have tremendous compassion and empathy for myself and for her. And, um, you know, if I knew what I knew now, I definitely would have done certain things differently, mainly just gotten more support. Mm. Um, but we did, we did pretty good with what we, what we knew. Um, you know, looking back, you're like, wow, that was, uh, I think as time passes in our lives, we see if we're open to it, we see, um, where we were blind when we were younger, you know, things we, um, Yeah, I think I think the the example with Emily and I is like I the 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 empathy was like I wasn't aware of of that back then, but I am aware of it now, and she is aware of it now. Back then, she wasn't aware of it. I think that's that's kind of a strange thing, like to acknowledge or apologize for something you had no awareness of. Um, but it's 
actually incredibly liberative because it's like we we free the past mm-hmm. to create a more um, mm-hmm. cohesive presence present and bring in more presence and that that was the that's kind of the example of that with Emily and I. And I think because we didn't have a lot of past, you know, our first part of our relationship was like very loving and romantic and having kids was fun. And then like, once we started not sleeping, then that was not fun. And mm-hmm. how, how much work it was like, you know, we were just kind of doing what we felt we wanted to do and what society was doing. But now that we're in our middle age, you can look back and go, wow, that was, that was shitty. There are some things that were not great, you know. The reason I, the reason I asked that question is not to, you know, shame anybody, but just to show that it, I think it can take a long time to get to these levels, right? Yeah. In a relation, especially as you mentioned, having kids, it's like as the stressors mount in your life, and you become more, you know, taxed and exhausted. Mm-hmm you know, worried, Mm -hmm. um, it's easier to like start to develop resentments and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and then the challenge is to be able to go like into those hurts and to be able to say to each other, this has been like, I've been carrying this for years or, and to really be able to like, to clear the air. Yeah. And then you, like you were saying, you, you get to a new level of intimacy. I think that's very well articulated and clear because it's not as if, I mean, it could be the case where you're like consciously withholding and not bringing forward your grievance, which there may be reasons for that. Maybe you're afraid to, maybe you haven't had modeling for it, but at least in this kind of example, the grievance or the resentment, it's building in the shadow. It's building in the unconscious. So it's not arising as, a conscious um, problem per se. It might be arising like you're saying more as like, I'm more fatigued. I have more headaches. I have more menstrual pain. I have testicular pain. I'm my body's showing the signs of me holding a truth that I, I need to bring forward, but it's kind of not a big deal by society standards or by uh, the standards that I was conditioned with as a child, like my parents showed that this wasn't something that we talked about. Therefore I'm not talking about it. And so it, it has to, it has to accumulate enough for it to arise into our awareness, either as a physical symptom or an actual realization. Oh my gosh, I'm really resenting my partner. or I'm really hurt by this thing that they did or have been doing that I've unknowingly or unconsciously been tolerating. And I think that level within that, there's nothing really to blame because we haven't been aware of it yet. Once we become aware of it, then we have to be responsible for it. It's like if you go into a dark room and you don't see anything, well, you can't really move around the furniture well because you don't see it. You're going to bump into things. But as soon as you turn on the light, if you start to bump into things, well, that's your problem because you, you're looking right at it. And so it's not till we turn the light on that we are obligated to really do anything. Or in a relationship, our partner turns the light on and goes, hey, I've been tolerating this way of being from you. Or, you know, you haven't been present here with the family. 
we need to address this. This is a problem for me. I'm not okay with it. So. And, okay, so. And then the difficulty becomes, though, and I think a lot of couples face this. So one partner tries to talk to the other partner about this. Yeah. But then if I, like, if I said to you, you know, or, you know, your wife says to you, oh, you know, you haven't been part of the family for a long time. Right. And then if you immediately feel defensive, then it just starts the cycle of anger, resentment, fighting, conflict. Or if she maybe phrases as it as uh, I feel neglected. Yeah. Or I feel lonely. It might still stir up For resentment, sure. shame, defensiveness. Right. So that's really, I mean, that re- this is why we're talking about this is because the superpower that you just described is the key to resolving so much conflict. Yeah. Empathy. Empathy. And being able to sit in the unknown for long enough to be able to open your heart. Yeah. you know, connect with the other person. Right. Yeah. It makes me think of Esther Perel, very famous psychotherapist talks about, talks about a generative, healthy uh, infinity, infinity loop where we trigger each other either into a, like a positive connective connection. But in most cases we trigger each other into a, a biofeedback loop. That's like a figure eight where we just spin each other into more negativity and shame and blame. Right. And as soon as you set off, I feel sensitive that you haven't been home that I'm like, well, what the fuck? I'm working my ass up. And you're like, but you're not here. And I'm like, well, fuck you. I provide all this shit. And you're like, you're a fucking asshole. I'm like, you're a bitch. And then, you know, it's just a generative loop. And her inside is like, catch yourself when you're in one of those. Cause they take you nowhere. They just spin you back and forth, but in a kind of a downward direction, so to speak. Right. And so that's just like a, a, a distinction that I think is brilliant is when you're in one of those stop. Cause it's not anywhere you want to be. It's not going to generate any connection and take you nowhere. Good. It's an energetic phenomenon. It's like a, it's like a, uh, a sinkhole or, or, a um, you know, like a whirlpool in the water and eddy in the river. It just keeps you stuck. And what's funny, at least about not funny, but in this example with Emily and I is for like two months prior to this confrontation, this, this, looking she had been mentioning like you know i really don't like that you're traveling so much like i don't and she had never said that before so she had been giving me some clues and i was like fuck am i gonna have to change my work schedule like and i was telling my friends like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to teach as much because emily doesn't want me out of town but then we got into it more and i was like honey what what are you talking about like i got curious about the like Cause she was saying things like, you know, you're not present with the girls. You've missed their childhood. And I'm like, I don't think so. Like I've been around a lot and I've done a lot of things. And then when I stayed with her more, she started to like name, there was really just a few instances that were, there was trauma around that for her. And that had colored her entire view of my work. So it wasn't actually totally true that I was gone a lot, but because there was a wound there, it, it, it painted her view of my presence. And so when I was, when I was with her enough to ask her present enough to ask her, honey, what exactly are you talking about? She could say, well, it was this instance and this instance. And then I could, and then she could share it about, she, she was able to share what was hard about it. And then I could hear her 
And then now she's like fine with me traveling the same schedule. It was more that there was a trauma there that had, had made the whole ground shaky. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she just wanted to be heard and understood. So it came back to the same thing because I wasn't hearing her and understanding her. It was as if I hadn't been hearing and understanding her, you know, in, in a much greater context. It, it was coloring her perception of me, you know, completely. And of course that was affecting our intimacy life too. Like, you know, we just weren't as close in general. And in some ways we had both started to tolerate that, which in our younger years was totally intolerable to be disconnected. You know, we're just such a connected, present, loving couple. So, yeah. I think people, I mean, I don't think I know when working with couples and individuals, it's this juncture that uh, at some level, right? At some level, there's a place we don't want to have empathy for our partner around. There's a lot of places we have empathy for them, you know, like, oh, I have empathy for your work or I have empathy for a challenge you're having with parents or whatever, like. But then there's some juncture in the relationship where I'm like, nah, fuck that. I don't have empathy for you there. And in my example, why it was hard to have empathy for Emily in this, in this presentation is that the way my parents were growing up is they would always forge ahead in difficulty. And they would go into the unknown and find some way to create. And in a way, they had like disowned there was never an example of being sensitive to their own fragility. Hmm. I never saw that growing up. I never saw an example of my father or mother being sensitive to a moment where like they felt scared or they didn't know there were like these imperturbable beings that could just find a way to create victory from nothing. Hmm. And so when I sensed that lack of ability in Emily, I had no empathy. I was like, what the fuck? Like, where's your tenacity? You know, where, where's your ingenuity? Call someone, get the help you need. And so there was this, it wasn't so much I was against her. I was, but I was also against myself. Hmm. And this is the key of this conversation. The thing that we're loathing in our partner, the thing we can't have empathy for, we don't have empathy for in ourselves. Mm. We're completely disowned from it. This is why it's so difficult. And the breakthrough is that, holy shit, I'm not only having empathy. Why it was difficult to have empathy for Emily is it didn't exist for myself. That little boy who grew up in Banning, California, who watched people get the shit beat out of them in second, third, and fourth grade. And who was scared to go to school. I was scared to go to school as a third grader watching fist fights, three third, fourth graders beat the shit out of each other. And I, you know, that was normal. I was like, I would go to school terrified of getting beat up, not just like picked on talking, getting, getting your your face kicked in. Like I had completely forgot about that little kid, Mm. how scared he was, you know, how vulnerable he was. 
and how he got by by trying to be funny and silly and staying out of the way of bullies, trying to be, I tried to befriend the bullies, you know, any way I could. So defending against your own vulnerability and shame. Always. It, it, this is why it's, it's always a, the most amazingly orchestrated cosmic mirror. Because when we get to that edge, we cannot see that the thing we're resenting is ourselves. We fucking resent and loathe and have no space for whatever it is that got disowned when we were young. And in my case, for most of us, it's like a vulnerable core. It's this, it's this vulnerable, shaky, unstable core that wasn't protected properly or contextualized. Like, I don't think my parents even knew that that was happening at school because I didn't even know how to talk about it. I was so young. But had it been spoken to or the teachers talked about, wow, there was a fight today on on the playground because there was. And, you know, no one spoke to me about it. I didn't know what to do other than like, no, I didn't want to be the kid getting beat up. But I interpreted it as death, you know, like and then, you know, there was just more and more violence around growing up in a place that was really poor. There was violence everywhere and you could feel it as a kid. I could feel it. And so, of course, as I've gotten older, I have never wanted to feel that, never wanted to become that, never wanted to um, have my life end up in that kind of world. But I know it well. I know what it feels like and looks like, you know, what addiction and alcoholism and cocaine addiction and, you know, a real abuse looks like. It wasn't occurring in my family, but it was occurring in the families of my friends. And, uh, you know, of, co- of course I would have a resistance to embracing that kind of weakness. It's like, hell no. That's the last thing you can be in this world. That's, that's danger. And I think what we resist in our partner could often be shaded by a, t- a tinge of danger or, a, a, you know, kind of abandonment, right? There's like a way in which I was abandoned from safety in that moment. So it's wonderful. Like w- what I'm working on now is this edge of being like a loving communicative father. Like how do I, like I, I, I'm, I'm working on it. People like, Oh, Luke, you're so loving and sweet. You know, like I am, but I learned to fill all those gaps spiritually by meditating a lot. So I have a lot of spiritual compassion and empathy, but to have the empathy of a grounded, present, loving father who's seeing seeing the pain that's 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 a new skill you know and who's who's protecting people not just attacking people that's all i was exposed to is attacking fighting winning you know overcoming those are all my examples of you know father masculine so vulnerability was weakness oh my god it was dangerous dangerous death you know i I thought about i didn't want to die Mm. get killed get Mm -hmm. stabbed Mm -hmm. maybe it sounds extreme but that was well i imagine if you have that kind of fear when you're young yeah then then feeling that now it does bring it it just brings it up right brings it all up yeah 
Yeah, like sensing that I'm, when I when I it was funny because before it all occurred with Emily, like in all of the relationships I have with women, there were women asking me for like, Luke, will you fix this? Luke, will you do that? And I was like, it was occurring to me like uh, weakness. I'm like, well, fix it yourself. Like, what are you coming to me for? And it, it was just interesting because there was a, a phenom- it was clearly a piece of work the universe was asking me to do. Because it was everywhere I looked, people were like, Luke, do this, Luke, do that. Luke, I was like, do it yourself. What the fuck? And what I wasn't seeing is that the universe was asking me to look at vulnerability, you know, to look at it and be with it and listen, not be so quick to fix, but just tune into what's really being asked for here, which, like you said, is my presence, my joining them. I hear you. It's an opportunity for connection. Yeah. For someone to even come to you and say, hey, can you help me with this? And yeah. then you help them with that. Yeah. Then you've created connection. Yeah. And then and then there's strength and then there's an alliance and there's there's understanding and there's a team, you know. And- because it takes it it takes vulnerability to ask for help. And it's hard for some people to, yeah. to do that. Right. So to have vulnerability met to have it be met, Mm -hmm. right? Basically that's also the other side of it is that we, like somebody is coming to you with their vulnerability, asking for it to be met. Yeah, exactly. That's a huge opportunity for connection. And, and, and allowing myself to bring my own vulnerability. Hey, you know, I actually need some help. Right. Right. Exactly. Something that really would not, you know, with, with not any kind of frequency come forward for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, help. Why the fuck would I ask for help? Mm-hmm. Unless I'm like clearly paying you and there's an agreement, you know, but just to mm-hmm. ask because I need it. Mm-hmm. And there's not a, a clear exchange like, with true vulnerability. Right. So That's- what would be an example of that in your relationship where it would be really difficult for you to ask your wife for this thing? Like, is there something where, it's really hard for you to show that part of yourself, that vulnerable part of yourself. Yeah. I mean, I can think of it in other relationships. I think with Emily, it would be, you know, asking her, uh, I've been tired this last week cause I'm working on a new project and, uh, she's been like asking me to plan a vacation and I just haven't had the bandwidth and I, was even getting frazzled by her continuing to ask me. And I, I, I finally got to like, Hey, I, I need you to not, I need you to just like tune into my overwhelm. And it, it was hard for me to even find the words. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm too overwhelmed right now. I, I'm flooded. You know, I can't even conceive of going somewhere right now. And I actually need your softness. Like I need some, I care right now. Uh, it, I think it took me a few days to realize it. Mm, and what, what would that care look like? I think in that case was like, Hey, you know, first, like stop asking me about the vacation. Cause that's agitating my nervous system. And the second is like, maybe put your hand on my shoulder and like, give me a kiss on the cheek and just say, Oh, I, I hear you, honey. Like I see that you're overwhelmed, you know? You know, what can I do for you? And, you know, assuming she has the bandwidth for that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in 
with the kids, it's like, we're both fried. So like, I can't give anything, but Mm -hmm. part of the work there is to, you know, the grit of being kind, you know, the, the grit it takes to sometimes find softness for the other, mm-hmm. the grit to like kind of, um, soften a nervous system that's overwhelmed. I mean, that, that to me is some of the edgiest work we're going to do. It's, I wouldn't even call that work spiritual. I'd call that superhuman. Mm. It's like beyond human and it's beyond spiritual. It's this kind of super spiritual, superhuman work where we where we're completely at our edge. We know we're at our edge, and we actually know what we need to do, but we don't have the energy for it. We don't have the strength for it. But somehow that realization is enough to find grace, find grace within ourselves to be soft, to be kind, to be loving. That is fucking power right there. You know, that is, that is choosing to resonate with the deepest tone of the universe when our, when we're not even, we're not close to that tone. And that's why that's particularly badass is you're not bypassing by, Oh, I need to go meditate. Or I need to go walk in the woods or I need to, like, sometimes life is so intense. You can't fucking get people are like, well, if I just lived in the woods or if I was meditating more, I'm like, well, fuck, of course. But the design of the whole thing is to push you to not, have be totally supported all the time, like to somehow find it within yourself to, to be graceful. And and that is the work it's oh, relational because Jesus. you can meditate, you know, 10 hours a day oh. and some people still have trouble when they encounter another person. Most so, of them do. Know. I mean, I lived that for a long time, you know, try to become a monk because I felt so safe and loving, but it, it was beautiful. And it was bypassing all of the human stuff. It was like, it's not, it's a completely, in, it's an utterly incomplete path. You know, it's, it's, it's just staying at that spiritual realm and, and completely avoiding the human realm. Mm-hmm. And the human realm is like, okay, we're going to get into the difficulty. And then to get into the next realm is like, okay, let me, I've shared my stuff. You've shared your stuff. Now what? Well, now what is now I'm going to get into your world and hopefully you'll get into mine. And we'll learn to have empathy for each other mm-hmm. and create a bigger world. And then we can hang out in the spiritual a little bit and feel the grace, love, and insight that comes from, you know, the universe with love with a capital L. And then we'll feel that tendency to avoid again. We won't want to confront shit. And then we'll reluctantly confront it again because that's the path. The pathway is to keep sharing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll feel that. Just, and then I'll take on your perspective again. Like I'll, I'll stretch myself to see what it's like to live in your shoes. And hopefully you'll do that for me. You know, and once we've thoroughly explored each other's worlds, we'll open and open it up to the realm of the divine. You know, this can all be occurring at the same time. But for us spiritualists, you know, we're often avoiding those, those really that relational work. Cause it's, it's hard. It's just no matter how much work I do, it actually gets harder because the challenge becomes bigger. You know, like I've occupied a certain skill level and then I'm like, cool, I'm real. No, here's the next lesson. Fuck. Like, no, no, no. We start to look forward to it because mm-hmm. like it's just it, it, it only adds more love and it only makes our community bigger. And it seems to be 
you know, an evolutionary stroke of connection that I, I think the universe, that the, the, the healing innovation is all about that. We, we have to put down our, our desire to control it and make it just feel good all the time. It's, that's, that's not, that's an, that's an incomplete, you know, pursuit. And I think when it, when it, when it comes to couples, that is the most intense domain because the commitment is so high. So if you're having problems with your partner, let's celebrate because that means you're on the path. You're, you're on the field playing the game and now get some help, like hire someone who's good at holding the space and reflecting so that these skills can be practiced. Um, because you can't, you can't see it. It's very difficult to see on your own because I'm seeing through my pain. You're seeing through your pain. Well, who's helping us see ourselves and each other that you know, you got to bring someone into that. I, I couldn't do it without, um, having a guide. No, you can't do it because there's always a tinge of me projecting myself upon you. And I need someone else to be like, Luke, <laughs> you know, can you put your stuff aside a little bit? Like, oh, yeah, thank you. That's why I have a men's group. That's why I have like professionals that I hire to train me. Because, um, you know, being my own coach is like, it's self-limiting. Being my own healer. Of course, I'm ultimately doing the work myself i'm ultimately healing myself but i have someone helping me you know like being vulnerable to ask for help you know and i have those skills i offer that to other people and i'm really good at it and then you know in my own work like it's just as hard as it is for the person i'm helping for me i'm like yeah i'm having a hard time Any other questions you can think of, Claudia? Mm. I'm sure more will arise. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good conversation. It is, yeah. Yeah. I think to see through your own defenses is a very difficult, um, it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. It's so it's so reactive, it's so quick. Primal. You know? Yeah. Um, but what else are we gonna do, right? <laughs> this is what we're here to do. Yeah. No, there's no other there's not another path really. I mean the other paths, you know, there's 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 different pursuits of the work. Some are like, let me just kind of stay in a posture of avoidance and maybe talk about it intellectually, but never engage. And then you have other folks that are just, they're going to engage. They're going to go to war. They're going to be reactive. They're going to be projective. They're going to attack, but they never get to empathy. So they're in the attack school, the shame and blame school. And a lot of folks stay in that school. They never graduate to like the, the school of empathy. And then some people don't never go to the spiritual school. You got to go to that school too. I, you know, for a while I was confused about, you know, sometimes I thought I would think that maybe 
somebody wasn't empathetic, you know, like they didn't have empathy, but like, I think of myself as a fairly empathetic person, Yeah. but it's, you know, becoming clear to me lately when I really look at my own patterns that I am reactive. I am defensive. I do go into shame and blame. I mean, I see it and, it, and it causes, um, and it, it comes up in those relationships where you are the most vulnerable. 100%. You know, it's like if you love someone and you feel threatened in some way, the relationship feels threatened or you, you feel like you're being rejected. Yeah. It just comes up. It does. And um, so I realize it's not about whether somebody is empathetic or not empathetic. Yeah. It's what stops the empathy. Yeah. And so it's fear or resentment yeah. or, you know, other things. Yeah. So. I think this is a, um, yeah, I think this is an incredibly important, uh, topic. Yeah. Yeah. So much more to explore. Mm -hmm. I love talking with you about it. I love your, you know, your questions and your, just, you're so attuned, you know, from your own insight and, and brilliance and many, many years doing work and different kinds of work. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, I can, I feel you just like tracking and guiding this conversation that's really a delight oh great yeah thank, thank you, you. Yeah. i mean i think it's so hard to i mean the question is how do you how do you stay open how do you stay connected with somebody um when you are feeling all of that fear yeah. when you are feeling because i think at the root of it is a lot of fear yeah i think at least in the example of em emily but when i think of some of the other places where i think i failed in having empathy what kept me on the table with Emily is that my love for her and commitment is way bigger than my shame. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to keep working to deepen that. And when I think of some other examples where I feel like I haven't quite gotten it, uh, I, I just see my conditioning took over. Like my childhood conditioning was trying to show me, you know, the way it was taught to me. Like you just, you just keep going, you keep pushing forward, you know, that mentality. And I missed having empathy for my own vulnerability, you know, in moments with other people that I didn't quite get there, you know? Hmm. And, uh, so do you feel like you didn't quite get there with some of these other people because you didn't have the commitment and the love for them. I think I did in that instance. It's, it wasn't as deep as with Emily. That mm -hmm. that's my deepest commitment and my daughter's. But um, I think in those examples, and similar to Emily, I just didn't have. I wanted to get there. I wanted to find that empathy, but I just didn't. I didn't take the time mm -hmm. like I did with Emily. Like I just took the time, knowing I wanted to get there. But in those earlier instances, the modeling that was there, like in, in those moments, and this is interesting, the modeling was like, I need to point out what's wrong in this scenario, what's not right, because I don't want to abandon my own sense of truth, my own sense of like my perspective, um, and just take the other person's side because that was a pattern I had. Well, oh, I'm so sorry I did that to you. Are you okay? But completely abandoned. Mm you know, something happened to me that was hard too. Right. Right. So that was why the experience with Emily was powerful because I didn't abandon myself. 
in these other examples, I hadn't, I hadn't graduated to a level where I could own my own experience yet. I think had I, I could have been like, okay, well, I'm defensive right now. I want to attack this person. But what's actually called for is me having empathy for how afraid they are. And rather than being able to get there, I was filtered through all of my anger and, and uh, just wasn't, it wasn't handled as skillfully as I wanted it to be. So what that shows me in that question, in, you know, this line of questioning is that this is a much more complex pursuit than just, Oh, I'm so sorry. That was difficult for you. I mean, we have to first occupy our own experience, which might be to be defensive for a little bit. It might be to want to justify because we've just never been able to do that. We've never been able to defend ourselves because we were, you know, helpless as a child. Right. Right. And I think if you're, you know, if your anger wasn't met when you were met well, when you were a child, you sort of learn how to disengage that part of yourself. So then it becomes difficult as you get older. Like how do you stay in a relationship with integrity without abandoning yourself, without abandoning the other, but acknowledging that there are real hurts. And I think that's a very difficult thing because you don't want to, you don't want to just push the person away, but neither do you want to lose yourself. So how do you do that? You know? Yeah. I think that that points to that there's stages of the work developmentally and, the part of the breakthrough with Emily was so great as I had already worked through stages of like my sovereignty and my perspective and which even before that, you know, my stage of conflict was like, I was so terrified. I was really related more to the little boy who was terrified when I was younger that I couldn't even, I couldn't even speak up for myself. So I had to first learn to do that. Like, Hey, you know, stop doing that. I had to learn boundaries, you know, and, and then, once I could show myself, I could keep myself safe. Then I could choose how to have a boundary that gave me more freedom. Once I had more freedom, Hey, I don't need to defend myself with Emily right now. Like there's no attack here. She's loving. Oh, there's an opening for empathy. It's like a, a new skill, which I think healthy shame eventually lands us to healthy empathy. Because we can own, oh, there's something missing here that I can offer to restore not just connection, but an even deeper connection. So I think I think why this could be an advanced teaching for some people is, you know, in your relationship, you might need to be in a place of defending yourself for a while until you feel safe to say, stop, you're being mean to me. Like developmentally, that may need to come online for a while, maybe a couple of years, like. I'm not okay. You know, you're, you're hurting me Just saying things you've never been able to say in any intimate context. Perhaps it's it's a graduated process. Mm, Yeah. Even that's like, I I think about that and you know, do you say, do you say you're hurting me or do you say I feel hurt? I mean, that would be more advanced. Right. I feel hurt. The first stage hurt. might be, you're hurting me. Like it might be way more reactive. Mm-hmm. 
And then the next stage might be, I feel hurt. <laughs> it's all a graduation of increased awareness and ownership. Mm-hmm. But I think initially, yeah, it'll be more like you're attacking me. You're hurting me. Okay. Good job saying that, you know, getting the emotion out. Mm-hmm. Now let's refine it. And I think it's wonderful to just be able to honor each stage, you know, each stage. Like, oh, it's, it's a victory. It's uncomfortable, but it's, we want that to come out and not be locked in, you know, mm-hmm. pushed down, relegated to the shadow, the nether worlds, the unknown aspects of our being. This works about freeing up that content. And we have to free one layer at a time. You know, it doesn't, mm-hmm. It's not just a bursting forth of all of our pain. Well, of course, that's appealing. Let me just like release all my pain in this, you know, cosmic shakti and grace that just heals it all. Wonderful. Guess what? When you do that, you build no skills. And that's the other side of deep work. Deep catharsis is only useful if it gives us a clue into a skill that we need to build and cultivate to become, you know, uh, more more tuned to life i feel like you want to you know you want to be able to speak your anger like clearly from your heart yeah but not be angry at the person super skillful and so that to me is like so powerful because anger there's so much clarity and power and passion and anger yeah so you want to know those aspects of your partner or another person you want to see that yes but if the anger is coming at you it makes it very difficult to actually do that so i think that's i don't know if that's a higher level skill to be able to just yeah. stand in your anger speak it very clearly without it becoming um just energetically an attack on the other person. incredibly advanced skill <laughs> but one we can all aspire to mm-hmm. and the first stage might be more of an attack because mm-hmm. it's just, just never come out so it's messy and fucked up and it may be a little abusive mm-hmm. but if it's being held as like you know a gaining of ground of your consciousness then that's actually a good thing mm-hmm. hopefully both partners can hold that and you know forgive ask for an apology that was so messy oh my god i'm so sorry i said it that way that was fucked up, you know, I'm going to work on it. Okay, good. You know, and you know, anger, I can point anger at you or someone. If I'm really in my heart with it, then what you're going to feel is how much I love you. And that what's going on is actually scaring me. And that will feel different. I could be pointing that anger right at you and be pretty intense but if I'm on, if I'm really in my heart, you're going to be like, damn, Luke fucking loves me and gives a shit so much so that he's raising his voice and penetrating with me because he mm-hmm. doesn't want me to do something that's going to hurt me or him or others. And that's a very high state, mm-hmm. a very, very high, high expression, very clean. You know, it's like using anger as a tool to wake someone up. Hmm. Uh, you know I'm, I'm not claiming to be an expert in any of these tools I'm working on them mm-hmm. I challenge you I think the best way to help people is to show your process yeah yeah that's I, I love to share that I love to be completely vulnerable about it because um, it, it 
I think it would just seem more practical and doable. Like, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's the illusion. There's there's a natural illusion we all have. We're all kind of at some level, the little person inside of us is looking for the perfect parent that we didn't have. And so it's natural to project that dream onto a, an authority or someone with more rank. Oh, this person has it all figured out. And they're the perfect father and mother that I've all... Let me squash that fantasy right now. That This doesn't exist. We're all in the process of becoming not the perfect parent, but a more loving, balanced, expressive, nuanced, you know, creative human being. We, we all are. No guru, no enlightened being. And believe me, I've sat with some of the most powerful planetary teachers in the last 100 years has all of that. They have a high spiritual state. But many of them have not done any of the interpersonal work. In fact, very little. So it's easy to conflate you know, someone who's good at something with being good at all things. Like, no, no, no. These are experts in meditation and mantra and vibrational healing. And it's very powerful. It needs to be honored. And this psychotherapist is an expert in the psyche, you know, and they need to be honored for that. But they're not good at some of these other things, you know, and part of these conversations are about breaking apart our illusions and delusions that, you know, someone's going to come and guide us through all of it. We're truly creating this together, growing ourselves up and maturing and finding, you know, these new skills, these new ways of being that just, they don't exist in us. And in some cases, they don't exist at all in humanity. They are not present yet in our culture and ethos, you know, that we're, we're at a turning point as a, as a species right now, culturally, we're like, we're seeing in some ways the exact opposites of the energies we're looking for, at least in pop culture, political culture, right? It's, I mean, it's a joke what we see politically. Like, is this a caricature of politics? Is this a caricature of, of mature behavior? Cause it's funny. It's so ridiculous. And so it's, you know, it's a cosmic joke. Well, of course not. It's the utter, the, the utter expression of immaturity and smallness and gossip culture and cancel culture and stupidity, you know, and it's pointing, it's, it's, I think it's so blatant to say, Hey, like we can definitely do better, right? Like this is, this is the lowest bar. It's not even a bar. It's like, this is what we've all been taught not to be. <laughs> so let's start to do better. Let's do better. And we, how do we do that? We do that. I do that with Emily and you do that in your marriage. And I do that with my daughters. Like we do it with each other. Well, should I start writing letters to my senators? Fuck no. <laughs> These are some of those immature people on the planet. Write a letter to your partner, no. you know, write a love letter, write a commitment letter. You know, in that moment of fucking up and failure, dig in and find the, the softness, find the love, find the empathy. I promise you, if we do that, that we'll see this political sector change, not immediately, but in the next 10 years, we'll see a different political expression of our of our own mature maturation. Mm-hmm. It will reflect a maturity that we've earned. And let me be clear, we have to earn it. It's not going to be given to us because we've been nice and followed a doctrine of, of commandments. 
it's it's going to be an entrenched inner battle with our own smallness and our and our own desire to turn away from our pain you know mm. it, it's it's right there all the time uh particularly if we're in, in relationship and if we're not in relationship then we're being confronted all the time with our own neuroses so it's right there for you too it's always there how can i find empathy compassion kindness and softness for my, the own the, my my the own the places within myself that i I, I loathe and disdain. I isolate. I reject. All that the all that the pop culture and political sphere is a manifestation of what we've rejected. Our immaturity, our smallness, our bigotry, our stupidity, our our unwillingness to see another perspective. That's the t- entire description of what we're seeing in the world. And it's an energetic pursuit. Entirely energetic. That's why for me, this work is activism. That's why I'm so passionate about like deep work. This isn't self-entertainment for me. This is where I think we can change the trajectory of humanity. Otherwise, I think Mother Nature has no problem wiping us out. Like, it's not a big deal. It's like asteroids, tsunami, fires. Like, she's just like, whatever you guys, like I've given you you know, hundreds of thousands of years and you, know, you had a pretty good run, but the dinosaurs did far better than you, you know, let me raise the temperature of the earth and like make a tiny little virus that gives you a cough and a cold and like you're helpless, you know? So I'm not, I personally am not too worried about the earth. I think she's got plenty of power to, decide which species will kind of continue on here. But if we want, you know, we might be able to continue to coexist here. It is interesting though, how stubborn we are. We really have to be pushed and pushed to like sort of an unbearable level of pain before we even think about changing. I think you described it perfectly. I read this quote. I don't remember who said it, but we would rather die than change. We would, as a healthcare provider, you know, I, when I was young and really idealistic, I didn't believe that. But when I worked with enough people, you know, thousands and thousands of people, like 50,000 sessions of treatment, I know that's true. I've taken people, I've been with them through their death where they have refused to grow. Really taught me a lot. Like, oh, we have free will. We do have the freedom to not engage with our process that's fascinating what what an interesting gift we've been you know interesting structure that we we aren't forced to grow we are pushed to our absolute limit but even then we can quadruple down and say no i don't want to look at it Mm -hmm. give me more morphine give me more whiskey give me more sugar you know let me numb my sensory system to such a degree that I can, I can avoid feeling the truth that is trying to, you know, tremble through me. I think we have to have free will because divinity exists in choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, we have to, we have to choose it for ourselves. We have to, we have to be responsible. 
And I think to not choose it is also a responsible choice. I'm choosing not to engage with the work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be responsible for that choice. Okay. I mean, the Hindus and the, the reincarnationists think, well, it's a terrible idea because you come back right where you left off, right? I think something like that is true, whether it's actual physical reincarnation. I don't think life stops. I think when the body stops, you know, the, the soul doesn't miss a beat and then the work just continues. Maybe in another form or maybe in more of a cosmic form or maybe in another human body. Who knows how that but I, I do feel clearly that the work is inescapable. You don't, you don't outrun it. Mm-hmm. I think probably in the next realm, the next sense of being, there's not, there's less of an ability to numb yourself. I think you're immediately confronted with your work. Here's your work. Here's how you did. Here's what you didn't do. It's probably not as mechanistic as that, but it's a clear, like, you know, report. Like, yeah, you learned this. You didn't learn this. Here's what's next on your task list mm-hmm. as a soul. Mm-hmm. And so and that's, that's kind of how I conceive of it. I go, well, fuck, let's go. Let's do it right now. Because there's some amazing things we get to experience as in a human body. Like, like intimacy and touch and feeling each other. You don't get to experience that in other realms. Like the pleasure and beauty and joy of the body and the beauty of this three-dimensional world. Mm-hmm. It's exquisite. It's just stunning. And if you're in your pain all the time, you completely miss it. You know, you miss all of it. And that's one of the gifts of dealing with your pain is you actually get to experience the, the fun and beauty of this place. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for, for hanging with me. No, thank you. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, this is great. Maybe we'll do it again. Yeah. Absolutely. You like it? I feel like there's so many more topics to go into. I think you and I speak well together. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah this is really, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Thanks, Claudia. Thank you, Luke. Thank you.